0: The amount left in the field is equivalent to 42% of what we have harvested and marketed uh, and put out there, Wow! which is about 4,500 pounds per acre.
1: That's just mind-boggling to me. Greetings, Earthlings, and welcome back to your podcast. On today's show, we are going to explore a topic that we touched on very briefly in our Life at 3C episode, and if you haven't checked that one out, I highly recommend you do so. It is an unvarnished exploration of the future that we are all hurtling towards as we talk a lot about mitigating the worst effects of climate change and make pledges and commitments, but actually don't do what's actually required to keep temperature rises down. And so it's a glimpse at what life might be like. And uh, on that show, we talked a little bit about how as global temperatures rise, it's expected that crop yields are going to go down higher temperatures, lower yields. And we're already seeing this in Africa. Farmers are already starting to change uh, their practices and switch to varieties that can handle a warmer planet. So this is already starting to happen and it got me thinking, if we can expect yields to go down, then there has to be something we can do today to prepare for that. Which is how I discovered this concept of food loss. This idea that in agricultural regions of developed countries, perfectly good fruits and vegetables never make it to market. In fact, they aren't often harvested at all. But. Before we sink our teeth into this juicy travesty, I'm your host, Lisa Ann Pinkerton. I support companies in the climate tech space, uh, gain media attention with Technica Communications, and I rise everyone up in the industry with women in clean tech and sustainability. And now for our show logistics, we have a new newsletter that you can join Click on the link in the show description and go to our website and you can get notified as soon as a show drops and uh, notifications around other sort of premium content that's going on our Patreon page. And um, you can also connect with us on social media and communicate with us. If you have show ideas, especially ones from the Global South, please uh, connect with us there and give us your ideas. We'd love to hear them. And um, you can also uh, feel inspired to give back on our Patreon page, we would deeply appreciate that. The link is in the show notes. Or don't. We would appreciate you either way. And finally, thank you to Resource Labs for having us on their network, and welcome to all of you who found us there. Thank you, Resource Labs. Now on to our topic. Global food security is a serious challenge, no matter how advanced a region is. and. As I said in the beginning, those yield numbers of harvests seem to get all the attention. But what's hidden from view and talked about the least is this concept of food loss. So to give you a rough idea, a third of the world's food is wasted globally. That amounts to 1.3 billion tons a year. That's right, 1.3 billion with a B. And that's enough to feed 2 billion people. Now, to put that into perspective, with all the food loss around the world, you could feed all the people in India and a third of China. Once more, you could feed twice the number of undernourished people around the world with all of that food loss. Moreover, if wasted food were a country, it would be the third largest producer of carbon dioxide in the world, after the U.S. and China. Now, what I learned from talking to our guest is that in developing countries, like the global south nearly half of food losses occur post harvest and at processing levels while as in industrialized countries um that food is lost pre harvest or you know once it gets uh, at the consumer level and go- comes home with us um that broccoli that you bought three weeks ago that's still sitting in your fridge that you had every intention of cooking and eating a healthy meal with yet you have instead uh chosen to reheat the pizza Yes, I'm speaking from personal experience. Um, So, that's what we're gonna cover today, um, the food loss in industrialized countries, and then we will cover the global south and what they can do in a future episode. Why this is also so important is that cutting global food waste by half by 2030 is one of the UN's 17 sustainable development goals. And it seemed to me, if we can make the food we actually grow more available for people to eat now, we can be better prepared for yields declining in the future. That's why we're joined by Dr. Lisa Johnson. She's a leader in food loss and waste research and she's a horticulturist. And her research takes her into the field with farmers to understand the amount of food that they're losing and what constraints they're facing.
0: So what I do is go into the field, measure some areas for sampling and mark them with my flags, and then start harvesting everything within those areas. Um, I then categorize everything I've harvested into three categories. Marketable, uh, which means um, fruit or vegetable that would meet quality specifications for a buyer. And then edible, something that wouldn't meet those specifications. It might be too small, too big, miscolored, misshapen, or have a healed blemish uh, that's just fine to eat. So healthy, safe, fresh, nutritious, but just wouldn't meet those standards. And then there's a category which I usually call inedible uh, or unfit for consumption, which is diseased or damaged. Uh, or over mature, generally speaking, not something that we would want to eat. So I collect uh, the sample, I categorize it like that, and then weigh those samples, uh, write down all that data, and make a few calculations to determine how much healthy, fresh food is left behind in that field. Um, and generally speaking, I would take that to a food bank on my way home. <laughs>
1: Wow. So you're you're helping these farmers understand, or and us generally as society understand how much food we're losing based on a variety of parameters. Uh, whether it's you know quote unquote ugly or has a blemish, like you said, or is uh, too big or just not fit for the the normal supply chain. And this is uh, is this a problem? Um, broadly around the world, or is this something more specific to developed nations?
0: Well, this is a, a problem around the world, um, and it happens in the U.S., all developed countries, and all developing countries as well. Um, we, we have a very different picture of food loss that in the U.S. and in developed countries than than in developing countries, and I'll tell you why. If you look at the supply chain, Uh, a very simplified version. It sort of goes from agricultural production to then storage and distribution. And then we have at the downstream end, we have retail, restaurant, and consumer. So in the US and in most developed countries, we have these uh, massive spikes of food loss and waste at the consumer end, which we very often hear about. And in agricultural production, which is usually overlooked and not very, very often talked about. Uh, And in the middle of the supply chain in transportation, distribution, um, processing, we really have made a lot of strides because we have very advanced refrigeration and storage uh, technologies, and we have well-developed roads and trucking uh, that can get food where it needs to go. In developing countries, in contrast, uh, what they have is very small amounts of food waste at the consumer end and very low amounts of food loss uh, in agricultural production. However, because of limitations in storage and transportation and refrigeration and even packaging, uh, there are really high losses in the middle of the supply chain.
1: Mm-hmm. So we're talking about food loss and food waste today. We're mostly on food loss side. And I, I know you, you explained a little bit about it before. And for those of us who are just learning this new term food loss, I think a lot of people understand food waste. What are the differences, or how do you how do you define these two categories?
0: Uh, the first thing to know about defining these two terms is that there's no one agreed upon definition of either one. So the easiest way that I have seen it explained is that the food supply chain itself gets divided, with everything sort of happening before retail. Uh, is food loss, and everything at retail and beyond is food waste. If you think about it, the loss of food in agricultural production and in uh, storage and distribution is often the result of technical limitations in production, harvest, uh, storage, and even marketing. So, technically speaking, you know, the producer has not done anything wrong, or there's nothing that the grower did or didn't do. The loss happens in those places. And in food waste, it happens in retail, restaurant, consumer, because typically of a behavior or decision that has led to edible food being discarded uh, before the end of its life. And, or, you know, then you can get into the weeds with it and say before the end of its life and after its life.
1: Oh yeah. How many have looked at has of us have looked at the the expiration date and been like, this expired last month. Do you think it's still good? That's prepackaged. It's it's probably still good. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
0: So it's as clear
1: as mud, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, okay. So then when you're when we're talking about um food loss. It sounds like sometimes maybe, it could, is, it, is it overproduction? Is it mismatched markets? So there's foods grown, but then it doesn't have a place to go. Well, what are some of the reasons we're losing food in our at the beginning of our supply chain?
0: Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, you know, I think that people commonly think that growers overproduce food. And the fact is, you know, we really under consume food, uh, fresh produce in, in the United States. We're supposed to eat eight or nine servings and we eat one or two, right? So that would really help growers if we would just consume all that we're supposed to do. But for many reasons, we either we don't choose to or we don't have access to those foods, that doesn't happen. Um, so and it kind of relates back to the the US EPA's food recovery hierarchy. The first thing that we're supposed to do to reduce food loss and waste is to eliminate any surplus production. So in agricultural production, it's very difficult to not overproduce because our fresh produce growers are not supported in the same way as other producers are. For example, they're not subsidized. They don't get support to produce the crops that they are, you know, want to produce. Um, and then they don't have very good options for crop insurance as well. So if they want to make sure that their buyer receives the correct volume on the correct day at the correct price and ripeness and maturity, uh, they have to plant more than they can expect will go into the box. Right. So because crops are grown for the most part outdoors, and you really don't know what's gonna happen in 90 days or 120 days when that crop is ready. In addition, you mentioned a mismatch between supply and demand. It's very difficult to forecast what's going to happen in that period of time with consumer demand, restaurant demand, uh, and planning. So even though, you know, grocery stores keep pretty good data on what we're buying, that doesn't mean we're going to buy the same thing next year at this time. Uh, So it's difficult to predict on that end. But in agricultural production, even more so, because you don't know who is going to, uh, which one of your customers, for example, is going to drop off or use another supplier. Uh, You don't know if there's going to be suddenly a big run on celery because an influencer decided to, you know, make everyone drink celery juice. So it's very difficult to predict what's going to happen. There's other reasons too. So very often the shorthand answer for uh, why food loss happens on farms that growers give me is that the price they're offered doesn't cover the cost to harvest the crop. So, you know, for those listeners who might not know, most fresh produce is hand harvested, which makes it extremely expensive. Uh, And so when the prices from the wholesaler are offered to the grower, they often don't cover all of those costs. If they can't do that, unfortunately, the crop gets left behind. Um, There's also the risk of putting something into a box and shipping it off when it's not perfect, if that happens, the grower is often on the hook for the entire shipment uh, and everything that went into it. So there's a lot of risk involved. Similarly, if you have a crew on your farm and you have two different fields, one that's finishing up and one that is getting started with high quality and sometimes a high price, the grower has no choice really but to move their crew to that field that's producing well with a high price and it leaves food behind so there's there's too many reasons to count really
1: it's just a shame thinking about i mean i you and i met on social media where you were posting some photos of of you know food loss and here's an entire field of i, I forget what the with the vegetable i feel like it was zucchini or something like that it was perfectly good zucchini it's not going to get harvested because there's, there's no market for it. Like you said, it, it's, it's not, the price isn't good enough for the, for the farmer to, to harvest it. And it's just, uh, it's a gut wrenching uh, thought for me to think about how many families out there are hungry and are scraping by um, when it comes to food. And then here we are not even harvesting the food that we have grown. Um, and even if the farmer can't do it, you know, There's got to be other, there's got to be other ways that we can leverage and maximize the food that we are growing. I mean, I mean, I almost, it makes me almost want to create like the ugly grocery store and it's like all the ugly vegetables are sold here. (laughs) How do we make a market for some of these things?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of solutions too, you know, as many reasons as there are for food loss, there's probably just as many solutions, um, and one of the things you mentioned is is, for example, selling ugly produce. And there are several companies that do this. You know, um, ugly produce is kind of a clever term that we use to make people think, you know it's you know, it's charming, right? This produce is charming. Um, but to a grower, it's simply unmarketable. So when we create markets like that that move those particular products along, that's a good thing for growers um, and I am I know and, and speak to many of the companies that do this work. Um, one of the challenges is that um, those companies aren't in every location and really don't tackle the amount of surplus we have and you know there's other solutions too you mentioned you know getting out into the field. Uh, gleaning is one of the most popular activities surrounding this issue. Gleaning is the act of collecting the leftover for charitable purposes, right? It's a very uh, ancient term. It's a biblical term. Uh, I believe in the Bible they said, leave the corners and edges of your field for the widows and orphans to collect. So I work with many awesome gleaning organizations, and they, they just do this. It's a direct action that people can take right there and then, to make a difference, which is wonderful. Unfortunately, what I'm finding out recently is that gleaning only tackles about 0.5% of the food that's out there in the field. It's a volunteer-led activity, typically, uh, and it's just not capturing the majority of what's out there.
1: I, I appreciate you you bringing that up, because that's a new term for me. I, I didn't even know that this this activity existed. So you can, as a, as a volunteer, you can volunteer with an organization and you can just go out into the fields and and glean what's left over. Is, are these organizations, um, primarily are they located within farming communities? I would assume, right? They're located close to the fields or, or how does it work?
0: Uh, Well, they're located all over. There's probably one where you are, but you'd have to just, you know, Google it, maybe find out. Um, I work with three great organizations, and I'll just give them a plug. Uh, The Society of St. Andrew is the country's largest gleaning organization, and they're in several states. I want to say 13 or 14 states, something like that. Uh, And they do a lot of work to, you know, organize gleaners or volunteers to get out in the field. Um, there's a great organization called Boston Area Gleaners, which is outside of Boston. And so they get a lot of urban volunteers that want to spend the day on the farm and do something good at the same time, right? Uh, and And then I'm the chair of the board at Uproot Colorado, which is a young gleaning organization that's doing this activity in Colorado and helping to provide nutrition security for Coloradans.
1: Well, that's fascinating, because to me, it seems like we have to fix this problem first and sooner. Otherwise, we're going to be in a worse situation when the climate is so warm that we start noticing yields decreasing.
0: Yeah, one of the biggest things that people mention around this issue is that we need to increase our yield uh, of fruit and vegetable crops. And interestingly, there's research to show that based on our population, we don't need any more corn and soy and wheat uh, in the US, but we need to probably double our fruit and vegetable production. And so, you know, there's there's two ways to do that, right? To, we can grow the footprint of agriculture and, and keep producing uh, as much as possible all the time, or we can lose, less, right? Uh, Which is decidedly less glamorous, maybe less expensive, uh, but could get us to the same place. Um, I mean, I strongly feel that based on measurements and data that are out there, some of which I've collected, uh, we could increase yield by 20 or 30% today just by accepting what we have into the marketplace and Distributing it well to our population, right? Many people think that um, that the problem with all of this food loss uh, and concurrently food insecurity could this, these two problems could solve each other, right? It's it's just that easy. But most people feel that the problem sitting in between is inequitable distribution you know, coming from my background in horticultural production, I have to say, yes, and we've got some serious hurdles in our harvest system. When it's so expensive to harvest fresh produce, it's going to take a lot to move that somewhere where it can be distributed.
1: So let me back up. So you said that, that if we were to Um, improve our operations uh, so that we're losing less food, Um, we could increase the amount of food at at market 20 to 30%. What was that stat that you gave us just just now?
0: Absolutely. So um, much of my work has come out of a desire to understand how much we're losing in the field. And so my work has been based on um, a technique of direct measurement in the field, where you go out in the field, as I talked about in the beginning, and sample what's there. uh, And you can estimate using those samples to what's in the whole field. It's actually pretty straightforward, uses maybe some high school math, you know, and, and you can get to a pretty decent estimate of what's out there. Other studies have followed on uh, after mine and have tackled this issue in in different regions and have reported on that. So uh, when I'm, I'm based in North Carolina, right? So most of my data was collected in North Carolina. So when you take a look at what's out there left in the field, on average, uh, the amount left in the field is equivalent to 42% of what we have harvested and marketed Uh, And put
1: out there,
0: which is about forty five hundred pounds per acre.
1: That's just mind boggling to me that we would be, in a sense, losing, or you know, not taking advantage of forty percent of the food that we're growing. What about policy? You mentioned earlier that the that vegetable, fruits, and vegetable growers aren't aren't uh, subsidized. In the same way as other types of growers, is that correct? And and so, what is is there an appetite at all to support these farmers so that we can get more fruits and vegetables into the hands of the people who could eat them?
0: Well, certainly, I think that that could help. Um, You know, for example, there's not really that much incentive to donate. Uh, your crop either. So if you've harvested something, and it's at your farm, and you think, well, I could donate this, there's really not that much incentive to do that for all the trouble it's worth. You know, you need to sometimes uh, pack and sort just in the same way that you would for a market. And then you get a tax benefit. It's not even in many states a tax credit. So the amount that you would get back is very, very little. So in my mind, uh, well, and in conversations with growers, uh, they have told me if there was more incentive to donate, that they would do that. So I feel like there is an appetite for some support, uh, at least to better serve our emergency food system, if we think that right now our markets are being served well enough. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's a huge appetite for growers to be better
1: supported. So we talked about how climate change is likely going to make um, you know, yields um, lower, decrease yields. And and also you, you hear a lot about people saying, well, if, if just more people became vegetarians or vegans, um, then that would also reduce... Um, the uh, uh, carbon emissions that are coming from agriculture in general, which would then support, help mitigate some of the worst effects of climate change. And here I'm listening to you and I'm like, well, if we can't even get 40% of our fruits and vegetables to market, how are we going to expect to produce enough fruits and vegetables for, for more people to take on that type of diet?
0: Well, we certainly can. You know, if you look at uh, some data on something like agricultural emissions, you'll find out that specialty crops, which is what they're called in the U.S., or fruit and vegetable crops, um, aren't, aren't nearly um, emitting, you could say, at the same rate as, say, commodity crops or mm-hmm. animal crops. Right. And so you know, maybe we're champions in this. You know, maybe we're doing some things right. Uh, I, you know, I I think that growers need to be celebrated for, especially because not only are they emitting less, but they're producing essential foods that we need to eat. Um, And like you said, it's not essential to eat meat, for example.
1: Well, this has been really fascinating. I wanted to ask you too. Um, w- w- when you think about the future of, of your industry and the work that you do, like what do you, env- like how would you envision a f- the future of a food system, considering all of these systemic challenges related to food loss? Like if you could wave a magic wand. What would you change or how would you build a better system?
0: Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> if I could wave a wand Um, I would wish for more education in the industry so that everyone understands how their decisions affect the rest of the supply chain. Um, You know, I would call for a revaluing of food. You know, this is the food that we're supposed to eat. It's not a category. It's not a commodity. It's something that should be valued not only by consumers, but by the industry as well. Um, It's not, you know, a product. I mean, it is, but it isn't. Um, And so I would love to see that. There are so many solutions to food loss um, based on all these different drivers, but really each one is addressing a certain symptom that we have. So I would love to see this addressed at a more systemic level. And I think that that's gonna come when we value our food differently. Uh, And there, there are some big changes that I would love to see. One is to, you know, lose the term specialty crops because these are not crops on the side of our agricultural production that we're, you know, growing just for fun. These are food crops or they're essential crops. They're not specialty crops. These are essential for our survival. Um, and I would love to see that happen. I It wouldn't hurt my feelings to see these growers subsidized um, and to have some more support, whether the subsidy is tackling labor or something mundane like packaging. You know, growers need cardboard boxes and they cost a lot of money. So, you know, uh, it could be something simple like that. But if you take it one step, one level up, you know, there are some very serious issues surrounding food in the US. I think that if the US would accept as much of the rest of the world has done, that the right to food is a human right, that might make a difference.
1: <laughs> Tell us more about that. What do you see in other places around the world Uh, treating food as a human right. How does that play out?
0: Well, uh, other countries, you know, really put that at the top of the list when they're caring for their population. And so, you know, I see that people have embraced this, except for a handful of countries. And we're one of those. Uh, so that's difficult for me. You know, a lot of the sustainable development goals intersect with food. Um, I think there's six or seven of them uh, intersecting with food. And this is, a, this is something we need every single day. So every one of us on the planet, uh, you know, intersects with food in one way or another. So I think it would be great if we could just recognize that.
1: Earthlings, imagine being at your place of business and two out of every five projects you worked on got canceled before you could deliver them. Or two out of five customers returned the merchandise they bought. That is not a sustainable business model. I mean, corporations globally would not stand for that. Yet, farmers are making it work. And I admire them for that. And just think about how they and and all the rest of us could thrive if we could just remove some of the risk and uncertainty in the food production that Lisa illustrated for us. You know, and I I didn't even realize that specialty crop growers don't enjoy the same subsidies as commodity growers like wheat and soy. I mean, that seems like low-hanging fruit, (laughs) pun intended. Um, Of course, we could all eat more fruits and vegetables and create a stronger market economy for those crops and I am certainly guilty of that and and maybe there's a gleaning organization in your area that you could volunteer with. Lisa mentioned a few and we'll add them in the show notes and I'm certainly going to do some research in my own area because I just love gardening and sometimes a day on the farm is all you need to feel rejuvenated. Until then earthlings we will see you again on another turn of this beautiful blue green space flower we call home.